Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. We are actually in our 20th year now as an organization, which just amazes me how fast time flies. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And for those of you who listen often, you already know this, but some of you may not. My book is available as a hardback. It's available on Kindle and also as an audio book. And 10% of all my net sales are always donated to Breast Friends to kind of help keep us going. So I just wanted to share, uh, say that to you just in case you were interested in any of that before we get to our guest. And I am so excited to to introduce our guest to you today. This is a little bit different topic for us. We have covered the value and beauty of music as something that just really heals the soul and brings so much joy to, to people who listen, but there's something gorgeous about a harp. And our our guest today is Amy Cammie. She's a professional harpist and a cancer survivor. She's going to share with us how to live life fully and honestly from a place of inner peace, joy, acceptance, and love. Welcome, Amy. So happy to have you on the show today. Thank you, Becky. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to share. Well, I can't wait to hear a whole bunch of what you got to tell us. But before we get into that, why don't you just take a minute and tell our audience about yourself, you know, hobbies, your family, whatever, whatever you think they might like to know. All right. Well, an interesting fact is that I am adopted and I was adopted when I was one month old and both of my adoptive parents were music teachers, are music teachers. And I have always believed that my life had a purpose. Um, So growing up, it was just, you couldn't make my life up. You know, there was just so many beautiful experiences that have just culminated um, to how I live my life now. Um, And so I just really feel there's a deep, deep connection um, with my with my parents being able to help nurture my natural gift. Well, I think that's wonderful and what a great world to be adopted into with two parents who are music teachers. That's pretty that's pretty incredible. Absolutely. Well, and now I live in St. Louis with my husband John and we have two grown sons. One is married and one is a senior in college. Wow. So you're almost well. I guess you kind of are an empty nester then, if the unless the college one comes home frequently. But you know, my mine kind of didn't. They went off to to college elsewhere and then stayed. <laughs> you know, so it's like okay, we didn't have that to deal with. But, um, <laughs> but I kind of wish we did because I really miss them. They they all went out of out of state and then they they kind of stayed there. But mm-hmm. that's okay. It gives gives us more places to go visit. Absolutely. So, Amy, tell me, how did you get started playing the harp, and when did you figure out you had a gift for this? Well, when I was in um, kindergarten, actually, I started playing piano, and because both of my parents were music teachers, my dad was very concerned that I was playing by ear, so I started piano lessons so I would learn how to read music, and then in the fourth grade in our school system, we could start a stringed instrument. And at the time, my father was the administrator of music in that school system, and he knew that there was not a harpist anywhere. And for him to hear um, harp parts 
being played on the piano in the high school um, spring musicals was just not acceptable. So he asked me if I would like to play harp. So I started when I was in the fourth grade. Wow. And you did you fall in love with it instantly or was it kind of a, an acquired taste for you? You know, it was not one of those, oh, I have to play harp. It was more of a, oh, well, this is kind of cool and nobody else is really doing it. And my dad asked me to do it and it's opening a lot of doors. So, okay, cool. So, you know, it, it, it felt natural, but it didn't feel like a passion. Well, I, you know, obviously it's something that kind of connected. So when did it actually connect and become something you could get passionate about? I'm assuming it did, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I'm classically trained. I went to Indiana University and studied with world-class um, teachers who also taught at Juilliard. Um, mm-hmm. In my freshman year, they based out of Indiana University, and that's Suzanne McDonald and Linda Wood. So I actually changed my major uh, my freshman year from music to telecommunications. But I continued to study because I wanted the training. Um, But I didn't feel compelled to teach and I didn't feel like I needed a degree to do what I, like gigging and orchestra work and things that I was already doing. So when I graduated, um, a friend of ours was going through hospice and something, and I didn't even know what hospice was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had ovarian cancer. And something inside of me said, sit down and record a cassette tape. So that was back in 87. When <laughs> we just cassette tape. Wow. <laughs> yeah, when, when we had the boom, bo- boom boxes. Uh-huh. So I did. I, I recorded some um, like restaurant gigging music. One side was like classical. The other side was familiar music. And she listened to that music during her guided meditations in the hospice. Um, And one of our friends literally saw her body relax. And so she was sharing this with me. And that was the first time I had ever heard anything about music and healing or music and relaxation. But a little spark lit up inside of me and said, pay attention. And so I kind of followed the threads and found a music therapist. We designed a two-part questionnaire we duplicated um, a professionally recorded, repli- uh, we went back and I re- into the studio and I recorded the same pieces of music in the studio, so we would have the same kind of cassette tape. Um, and that was our first initial pilot study, where 100% of the responses came back that people perceived they were more relaxed after they heard the music, even if they didn't particularly like harp music. So we were already addressing the idea that you have to like the music for it to be effective. So that kind of mm-hmm. got me started. Well, I, I think that's that's amazing. And, you know, you're only the second harpist I've ever personally known. And the first one, I actually got to hear her play harp at an event that I spoke at. And it was and we had a chance to talk afterwards. And the music is just so calming and, and angelic. And I just just reminds me of what heaven might feel like, you know, when the time comes. It's heaven on earth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what, when, when did you make the switch to cancer patients or, or is it, that's just one thing that you do? I mean, kind of, kind of go there. Okay. So about seven years after this initial pilot study that we did with my cassette tape, my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer 
And so I wanted to record something for him specifically to be used after surgery to help him relax and heal. And because he was a musician, I was aware that musicians listen to music differently than non-musicians. They tend to analyze it. They tend to <laughs> uh, figure out, when, when did I play that? Or, you know, they have this big relationship with the music um, that non-musicians usually don't. So I found new age piano, piano solos that I recorded on solo harp. And that helped him to relax. And it was helping other people as well. So through a series of divine interventions, we met a a psychiatrist and neurotherapist, Dr. William Collins, who was intrigued with the stories that we were sharing with him and offered to do a quantitative EEG pilot study measuring brainwave frequencies of people listening to this particular CD. It's the New Love CD. And that result showed that it increased the alpha frequency in four minutes, which was also fascinating. Okay, so, so you're going to have to explain that one to me in English, please. Okay. So, <laughs> so our brain, we have different brainwave frequencies mm-hmm. and they um, correlate with different experiences. So the alpha frequency the beta frequencies are high. They're, they're high waves. Um, they're faster. And when we're awake, when we're conscious, we're working with our betas. All right. And when we're anxious and stressed, those frequencies move even, even faster. And that would be the high betas. Right underneath that is an alpha frequency. So the, the brain is slowing down a little bit. And we experience that like when we're daydreaming, you know, when you're just kind of zoning out. Your alpha frequencies are um, increasing and your beta frequencies are lowering. So we've got the lowering of the betas and the increase in the alpha, which creates this really relaxed state in the brain. So we were thinking, well, if we can relax the brain, maybe we could impact the immune system. And so we were already then making that connection between how the, it's called now, it's psychoneuroimmunology how the brain affects the immune system. So one thing led to another, and we actually formed a nonprofit foundation called the Scientific Arts Foundation. We developed a clinical trial, and during all of this, uh, I was going through my own personal fears about like writing my own music or allowing my own music to flow through, and I recorded a different CD called The Magic Mirror during this time. And Dr. Collins did another pilot study with that CD with five women going through chemotherapy treatment for, uh, for cancer. And the results indicated that every imbalance tended to normalize. It was almost like they were getting individualized music treatment. I don't want to call it therapy, but um, they were responding in their own way. And that was different. It was unexpected. Um, And so we built upon that pilot study research and included that CD in the clinical trial. Um, So that's kind of how the cancer connection came. You know, this is so cool because it's it's not just... You know, we all know that that music, what do they say, music and laughter are the best medicine. And, you know, so we we kind of, I think, intuitively know that. But you guys have put some science behind this to really, you know, prove what it's what it's doing and what the, you know, what the physical 
side of all this is. I think that's that's pretty fascinating. And I'll bet your parents are really proud of you. <laughs> um, they are, but we all do this together. We're all walking yeah. this together. That's great. Well, you you also had your own diagnosis. Um, we only we have a couple minutes left before we go out to break. But can you um, talk a little bit about your diagnosis and treatment? And if we run out of time at, before the break, we'll come back to it. Absolutely. So what's fascinating is um, it's and my diagnosis is connected to the music and the research. When we were when we had this pilot study research done with the um, the QEEG actually normalizing neurological functioning in cancer patients going through chemotherapy, I had to figure out a way to describe that and um, and talk about why I thought that was happening. And I was doing presentations to breast cancer support groups, to hospitals. Um, I was We were aligning with different physicians who would be interested in referring patients into our clinical trial. So I was already active in the cancer communities, and I was playing harp, actually, in chemotherapy units as well at different hospitals here in St. Louis. So when I was diagnosed in December of 2010, it felt like a cosmic joke. Um, <laughs> it was like, wow, wait a minute. Um, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be the one talking about vibrational awareness and energy and frequencies. And, and here I am now diagnosed with breast cancer. But on some level, it made sense because my dream had always been and still is to gift newly diagnosed cancer patients with this music because we do know that it supports the brain and the immune system with another pilot study we, we had done. So my dream was always to gift the music. And now I had an opportunity to use this music for myself. And so I handpicked my team based upon the connections we had already made. So I literally was diagnosed in one system and I did my surgery in another system and I did my chemotherapy and radiation in another system. Um, so I feel very blessed that the music opened those the doors to those connections. So I was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer okay. in the right in the right breast. I had a lumpectomy, nine lymph nodes removed. Um, six chemotherapy treatments and 33 radiation treatments. Yeah, and then, that's, that's a lot. And then two years later, I was diagnosed again in the same breast. Um, and at that time, I decided to have a right mastectomy and full hysterectomy. And now I'm on tamoxifen. Okay. And um, so how long ago did you actually go get your first diagnosis? It was December 2010. I'm sorry, you did say that. <laughs> That's okay. I just didn't get it written down, so I didn't stick in my craw. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and and you're doing okay now? I am. You sound great. <laughs> everything everything looks good. Um, that's that's great. Well, good for you. Well, you know, we're going to we're going to go out to break here in just a minute. So, um, but are you still on any kind of treatment? You're still on tamoxifen now. Correct. Okay. And so obviously you had estrogen positive breast yes. cancer. Okay. Yes. Both times. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mine mine was that way too. And I had um I just did a lumpectomy with chemo and radiation the first time and then eight years later it showed up on the other side as a as a 
almost a mirror image of what happened on the first one. It wasn't a recurrence the second time. It was just a new primary that started, and both of them were estrogen positive. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's challenging because it, it is the most treatable kind of cancer because it's the one they know the most about, but it's really hard, <laughs> you know, when you're going through, you know, all the treatments for it. And 33 rounds of, of radiation is nothing to you know, joke about, that's pretty serious, but it's very, very effective medicine. So anyway, we are going to go ahead and go out to break. When we come back, we want to hear about your journey to loving life, all of it, how you got to that place in your life where you're, where you're dealing with that. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with professional harpist and cancer survivor, oh, and author, Amy Cammy. And so speaking of author, we're going to kind of delve into her journey toward loving life, all of it. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that, Amy, how you got there and and what it all means to you. So when I was doing presentations to breast cancer support groups before I was actually diagnosed, I was talking about um, my passion, which is empowering people with the understanding of resonance and sympathetic vibration and how everything is energy. And one of my feelings at the time was that the words fight um, felt very counterintuitive to what I experienced when I was diagnosed. Um, I knew that on some deep level, 
my diagnosis was an opportunity for me to remember how to love myself again because I was always taking care of other people. Yeah. And well, that's, that's interesting because we all talk about, you know, you're, you're a fighter. You can beat this. And, and so you, you had a, an issue with that word. And when you say that, I, I kind of, I, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. I'd never really thought about it before, but so talk more a little bit more about that. You know, why, why that word is because it's so many people say it and, but yeah, just talk a little bit more about that because I, I think that's fascinating. So the energy, when even when you hear the word fight, it creates this need for protection mm-hmm. and, and constriction. And we feel tight, you know, because we're getting ready to battle something. And I get that. I mean, when anyone is faced with a threat um, on any level, you know, that's part of our makeup, you know, the mm-hmm. fight um, or freeze. And so I just felt, wow, I'd been fighting myself for so long. It was time to stop fighting internally within myself and create some space and listen to what my body was trying to communicate because I wasn't in touch with my body. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in touch with my feelings. I was living in survival mode. Um, and honestly, cancer gave me an excuse to take care of myself. You know, it's really interesting because there, there are blessings in this and, you know, people, they, they always look at you crazy when you, when you (laughs) tell them, you know, there, there have been blessings and there, there, there are blessings in my journey and all, all five, and I'm actually in the midst of my fifth one right now, and it's stage four, it's in my lungs. Um, so we're, you know, kind of battling that one on a regular basis. But, but at the same time, you know, there have been blessings that have come from every diagnosis. And what I'm hearing you say is rather than think of it as fighting, find those blessings and, and embrace the journey. And as you know, we're not saying embrace cancer because nobody wants to embrace cancer, Mm -hmm. but if it's something that we're dealing with, then there's different ways to deal with it. We can accept what we're going through and do our best. Um, And that, that's, that's kind of what I, what I'm hearing. Yes. You say. Yes. Okay. And because I was aware that my perspective was a little different, um, again, I, I had the benefit of actually speaking to breast cancer support groups and listening and hearing how others were walking their journey and playing in chemotherapy units and, you know, having that experience. Um, I knew my perspective was a little bit different. And so that was the motivation to actually start writing everything down. And I did it in a way that would help like a close group of friends and family, stay up to date. So mm-hmm. I did this basically as emails. I didn't necessarily write it as a journal, a handwritten journal. Right. Um, I, I had done that two years prior for a whole year. It was almost like that journaling helped prepare me for the diagnosis. Okay. For, for this for these writings, they were emails. And my whole journal is available free online for anyone who's interested. Um, I, I share everything as openly and as honestly 
from this perspective. So every stage of my treatment, I was able to find the blessings and I was able to listen to what my body was saying. And um, that was, that's why the title of the book is loving life, all of it. So what I did is I took excerpts from my journal entries and I created chapters and then in the book I gave a little more narrative after the journal so you can read the specific journal entry or email and then I talk about it. That's wonderful. Well, you know, I know that we we, uh, have a lot of because you have you put some life lessons in your book and I really want to hear your interpretation of these life lessons because they're fabulous titles and I know that each one means something different to you and before we run out of time I want to kind of just jump right on into those so if is that all right with you if we go start down that path absolutely okay so life lesson one and I, again I'm quoting these from your book mm-hmm. it's okay to have my own belief system speak to that so Going back to having spoken at different support groups, I understood that my perspective was different. Mm -hmm. So this, my own belief system was being able to be comfortable with the language that I was choosing, that I did not have to accept the collective agreement of what a cancer journey was going to be. It didn't Mm -hmm. have to be a fight. And I also am somebody who doesn't necessarily use the word survivor, Okay. Uh, because from my perspective, and the question that I had to ask myself is, what did I survive? And the ultimate answer is death. And truly, nobody is going to survive death. <laughs> I mean, every time. Not in the long run. <laughs> not in the long run. Every time we wake up in the morning, we've all survived. And. So that was part of my belief system. You know, be in the moment, be grateful for everything that's happening, learn what I can learn about myself, um, and know that it's all taking me on this journey of self-love. Good. Yeah, and it's true because there are there are a lot of people have a lot of opinions about things, you know, and, and they do use the word fighter a lot or fight. Uh, they'll say things like, "You've got this." Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of some of this is sort of up to God, you know. Um, exactly. But it's it is okay to have your own belief system, and I and I value that you have that in there. So what's what's life lesson number two? I'm going to kind of rush you through. A, few of these so we can make sure we don't run out of time and, and not get to all 13 of them. So so okay. what's life lesson two? So I have the choice to choose how to live my life. And that has to do with being fully present and listening to my body. So I'm going to back up just a moment. Each one of these life lessons in the book, are they're accompanied by a photograph. And these photographs happened independently and before I was even aware that I was going to write a book, but they magically coincide with each chapter. And so just a brief description of what these photographs are, because I feel like they're powerful messages in and of themselves. Um, They are actually images after I had lost my hair, and they are these beautiful... um, my feeling was I wanted to just be as open and authentic without any masks and these photographs capture it. So 
each one of the chapters has an I, they're called I am image. So the first lesson, the I am image is I am strong because it, it takes strength to have our own belief system. Mm-hmm. The I am image for life lesson two is I am responsible. And again, that is having the responsibility to choose how to live. We On this journey, everyone makes individual choices. There is no one answer for everybody. And so it's it was my responsibility to be fully present and listen to what my body was calling for. I love that. I love that. We had a we had a guest on our show from from Ireland and when he he was diagnosed with a very very serious like they gave him 30 days to live and it took him that long to pull a team together. And so for that 30 days while it took while he was waiting for his team to be assembled, he made a decision on choosing to put the best patient possible that he could on that that surgical bed, the gurney, as he called it, um, to make sure that he gave the doctors who were willing to tackle this the best chance at healing him as possible. So he went out and started running again. He'd been a runner, but then couldn't because of the illness. But he just made a decision to start running again just to get his strength up and be that person so he had the best chance possible. And mm-hmm. what you're saying kind of reminds me of of him. Very mm-hmm. powerful message that he gave us that day. Um, okay. So anything left on life lesson two you want to share? Because we need to jump into three. Yeah, but we can keep going. All right. Let's go to life lesson three. So life lesson three, the I am image is I am worthy. And the lesson is it's important to take time for myself. And this lesson is so powerful because um, this is when I realized when I had disconnected from myself. And being adopted, there's all of that energy and those subconscious fears um, of being rejected by my creator. I mean, they go so deep. Um, and they, they're they not true, but it's things that we take on and, and we tell ourselves and we believe it um, until we don't. And then I realized that when I became a mother, I really disconnected from myself because my whole focus was taking care of our kids and turning the mirror and realizing that I am worthy um, was a huge life lesson. Yeah, I, I can so get that. Absolutely. All right, life lesson four. So life lesson four is um, I am compassionate. And the lesson is judgments and assumptions restrict possibilities. Okay. So I think I understand that. Why didn't you explain that? <laughs> Um, so there, there are many steps in my journey where I became very aware of my judgments. Um, and one of them had to do with a mastectomy because in my first diagnosis, um, in my mind, that was just like totally out of the question because, you know, our breasts are connected to our femininity, our motherhood, our nurturing. There's so Mm -hmm. many relationships that we have, um, and then when I was talking to my, 
my um, oncologist and I had actually done the genetic testing because I didn't know my history. I had met my birth mother, but I still did not know my full genetic history. And we didn't have the results back when we had this discussion. And I realized that had the, if my results came back positive, then take them off. You know, (laughs) all of those judgments and stories I had created about them, Mm -hmm. um, they just kind of went poof. (laughs) And so it's so funny, you know, when we we become aware of our judgments, um, then they can just unwind. And we have all of these other possibilities. You know, that is such a such a good point. Um, it really is. It's not something you think about. But yeah, when you when you make judgments about things and assumptions about things, you do kind of limit those possibilities. I really never thought about it in that way. But that makes perfect sense. By the way, I just asked our our engineer to skip the next break. So <laughs> Okay, we have, a, we have a couple more minutes to to chat. So um, then we then what we had before. Um, so no, that's really great. Was there anything else on that one before we move to number five? Um, just the I am compassionate. For me, compassion is such a powerful word, mm-hmm. um, and for me, it is about embracing every aspect of ourselves. A lot of people believe and feel compassion has to do with how we treat other people. But when we turn the mirror, for me, divine compassion and true compassion is about being able to embrace all of these aspects about ourselves. And that is why um, I knew this was a journey to love. And looking at my judgments was another step in me accepting me and all the aspects within myself. Wow. Cool. Well, we have about... Two minutes maximum to cover for each of the next several. So um, we're going to just whip through these. Okay. So number five, life lesson number five. Okay. It's I am open. um, And the life lesson is be open to love and allow it to flow freely. This was a really powerful lesson too, because if you stand with your feet planted on the floor and you raise your arms up and open, this is like a warrior pose. Um, Mm -hmm. This, this position I had twisted the words open and vulnerable because when we stand like this, we are vulnerable, but we're also open. So open is allowing access to the inside. Vulnerable means the need to protect. So again, it was this unwinding of old beliefs and Mm -hmm. fears. Okay. Very good. Um, Number six all right, it's, this is I am light. The life lesson is a shift in belief, expands perceptions and alters the experience. This was a huge lesson um, because I decided to do chemotherapy, but it was in direct contradiction to my beliefs about chemotherapy mm. because I used to play harp in chemotherapy infusion units and I would sit there and I would think to myself, how could those people just sit there and let that poison go into their body? Because that was my belief. That yeah. was my judgment. So I had to realign my perception and my belief because I was going to choose chemotherapy. So a friend of mine reminded me that the word sacrifice means to make holy. 
So I was able to see all of the healthy cells that were being sacrificed with the chemotherapy, making room for the new cells to be mm. born to be born into a body that was more in alignment with self-love. I love that. Yes. Uh, you know, and that's a good question. How how do you get okay with pumping this toxic in your body? And one of the things when I went through my cancer the first time, um, I was on a pretty harsh drug. You might have been on the same one uh, called adriamycin. It's otherwise known as the Red Devil. <laughs> yes, very, very yes, difficult. Yes. And I and the first time I was, the first day I went, I was so scared because I had that same belief why would I sit in a chair and put all this toxic stuff in my body and do it willingly mm-hmm. and what I did in order for to kind of be okay with it is I closed my eyes and I had this vision in my head of these little itty itty bitty teeny tiny soldiers like those there's little, these little toys you can get that are little tiny soldier guys that are maybe I don't know an inch tall or less well in my in my vision they were nano nano sized little Mm -hmm. tiny army men and that's what was in this drug that was being pumped into my body and that these little nano sized guys with their little weapons were going through my body on a search and destroy mission looking for cancer cells to shoot and destroy Mm -hmm. and and that the chemo was working and that's what it was doing is it was attacking every nasty cell. Now, I kind of ignored the fact that it was also attacking the good ones. I was trying <laughs> to put that one out of my brain. But, but yeah, coming to some ability to accept things sometimes is, is difficult. But, you know, if you can find a way to do that, it can certainly have a, a, a more solid impact. And I'm taking up your time. Doggone it. Okay, let's move to, um, was that five or six? That was six. And also, six, Becky, okay. we don't have to get through all 13. People can okay. look at the, the go to the website and um, it's readily available. Okay. Um, so lesson seven, uh, I am playful. The message is change is constant. So dance within the moment. So this is kind of a funny story. I love that one. <laughs> fun. It, it is fun. So I had just been diagnosed. Um, oh, I don't even know if. I had been diagnosed quite yet. I think I had had, we had we didn't have the results yet. Um, I had bought a new used car, new to me, used. Um, it was December 23rd. Our son had recently, um, through a sinus CAT scan, they found something on his head that had to be addressed by a neurosurgeon. So we were doing neurosurgeon appointments, MRI tests, CAT scans. I guess I would was also part of because we were um, scheduling these tests together, <laughs> um, and it was crazy. And then the brakes go out on this car on December twenty mm. third, an hour before uh, Christmas Eve, and I have a harp job that I need my car so we're calling the dealership we're stuck in a parking lot we're trying to get a tow we're trying to get another rental car it's the weather's crazy and my husband and I are just sitting there and all of a sudden we just start laughing and the lesson is you know it's not about controlling the outside we so wanted to control everything that was happening so fast Mm -hmm. but it's really about learning to dance within each moment from the inside I love it. <laughs> that's that's very cool. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to comment on that. I think everybody's going to have a different vision of what that means to them. But it's <laughs> such a 
beautiful, awesome vision. That let's just leave that one right there. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, life lesson eight, and I and I have to say I agree a hundred percent with this. Mm-hmm. I am truthful. Uh, the only way to know a feeling is to feel it. So this has to do with my de- my decision to do chemotherapy. Um, I had to be really truthful one night, and I just. You know, even I, even though I intellectualized it, I changed my belief, I changed my perception. I still hadn't had the experience yet, mm-hmm. and I had to be really truthful with myself. And I just cried because I really didn't want to do chemotherapy. Um, and I just had to be honest, and and I had to be so grateful for everything that my body had already gone through, with the biopsies and the tests and the MRIs. And, you know, she was just hanging in there. And here I'm going to put chemo in her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it didn't feel right, but I knew that it was the right decision. Um, so I had to drop down from my head and into my heart and really feel that and be honest. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's, you know, and, and I think so many of us are, are, I don't know if this is going to sound really harsh, but I'm going to just say it anyway. Um, a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm so sorry. I know how you feel. Oh, do you? <laughs> Did you? You went through cancer? Oh, well, no, but, you know, I can imagine. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yes. say, I can imagine how you feel. But to your point, to know how you feel, you really have to have experienced it in some way. Maybe not yourself, but a close loved one or something. I, I just... And, and it's not to put anybody down who might say those words because sometimes people just don't know what to say, so they just say whatever pops out. And that's okay. It's better than saying nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. And just, but you can always fix it later. You know? <laughs> but um, I guess as, as survivors, or I'm not sure what you refer to yourself as since you don't use the word survivor. Uh, survivor's uh, fine. <laughs> okay, for this conversation probably. Yes. But just to be sensitive and, and open to the fact when people say things like that, they're just trying to be helpful. And they don't mean anything anything harmful about it. So let's go to life lesson nine. And we're probably going to have to kind of go through these sort of quickly. But I do want to get them all in, even if we just kind of say what they say what they are. We do have, we have I'm not sure how much time we have left. Um, I, I'm sure that if my engineer is listening, he'll he'll type it in there for us. So uh, since when we skip a break, it always gets hard for me to kind of know. Um, oh, he's typing. We have nine minutes. Okay. All so. Right. Um, Life lesson nine, when I'm caught in doing, I'm resisting being. So what does that mean to you? Yes. Okay. So this was an I am sacred image. And I am a person who sometimes gets caught in production mode. And so all of these life lessons are still relevant every day to me. And when I find myself like constantly doing, 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 um, part of me is resisting just slowing down to stop because for me a lot of times um, when I stop and I open that space there's something that wants to come to my awareness but if I keep doing and if I keep going then I don't have to look at it (laughs) yeah that's true that's true I heard somebody say one time that that we're human beings not human doings Exactly, exactly. And, and so, we tend to spend our life and get all of our jollies out of all the stuff we do instead of just feeling and being, you know, ourselves. Is exactly. that kind of, that's what this is about? Yes, and the recognition that I am sacred. So so it doesn't matter what's inside that wants to come to my awareness. It's part of the wholeness of who I am. 
And uh, again, that's okay. part of the journey to, to love. I love it. Life lesson 10. Listen, trust, and choose that which is most loving and supportive to me. Yes. So um, this lesson is I am blessed. Okay. So we all have these days where we feel, oh, I want to do this. I had this day where my body said, oh, I want to move. So I moved and I vacuumed and I cleaned and I did some things that were probably a little more um, adventurous <laughs> than, than my body really was asking for. Okay. So a lesson out of that was be gentle. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. You should. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's another phrase that our whole family uses now. Um, but the other piece of this life lesson was the opportunity. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. In my journaling, I actually used the term conscious self-care. And as I reflected back into my book several months ago, um, I am now speaking about conscious self-care. And I had just I just recently made that connection that my journey to conscious self-care happened because of my cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like this big full circle. And even though I had been aware of so many different techniques, and again, just because we know about things that could help us doesn't mean we implement them. Right. So part of me is like, oh, well, I know about that, but I wasn't using it for myself. So ha- actually having the, the experience, giving myself the opportunity to choose that, um, and having an experience of something else that was a self-care action um, is part of that life lesson. Excellent. Okay, life lesson 11. I am joy. Release attachments and live fully without masks. Can we do that? Oh, it. yes, we can, but it's scary <laughs> as heck. I know. It's kind of like, you know, we don't do our, our radio show with Skype video because I don't always, well, we don't because it's just not the format. But, um, no, there's just times I want to just, you know, not show my face to the world and, you know, just be able to be comfortable in who I am. But it feels like I can't do that with everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, this lesson was definitely connected to uh, me losing my hair Mm -hmm. because part of me wanted to defy my doctor and say see all of these great things are working and I'm going to keep my hair and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and then um, then it started to come out and then it really came out and everyone was like so how do you know when it's coming out it's like okay so you know when you pull on grass and it's got strong roots yeah you know, when you pull on dried grass and you can just pull it out, mm-hmm. that's how you know. That's um, a good way to look at it because it's true. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had hair all over my pillow. It's like mm-hmm. strands, long strands that, you know, didn't leave a, a visible bald spot, but it, they were just, you know, you got so many strands of hair on your head mm-hmm. and way more than you think. And you can lose quite a lot before it shows, but you can see it. <laughs> it's you coming can. out. Yeah. And what's what surprised me is um, I loved being bald. Really? I loved it. Oh, huh. my gosh. There was such freedom in not having to do my hair. So, <laughs> Well, there is that, you know, and just, it doesn't take long to take a shower. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I, I ran out. My first experience going in public being bald is when my husband had car trouble he called me and I just dashed out and I didn't even think to put the wig on or put the scarf on I would just had to run out to help him 
And all of a sudden, I realize I'm bald talking to the mechanic. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and it was like, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. And my, my friend gave me a hat that said no hair day on it. And I started wearing that <laughs> everywhere and it cracked me up. It became one of our number one programs at, at Breast Friends was our hat project. So, you know, it, it, it all worked out. But, okay, we only have a, a minute or two left. So, number 12, my healing comes from within. Yes. So I am peace is the I am image. My, um, I realized that I was becoming very, very dependent on outside connections. Um, I was getting, I had one chemotherapy. It was so nauseous. I spiraled down. Um, I just felt so helpless. And I was, it was almost like these uh, vines of connection were just like, uh, they were supporting me, which is a good thing. But in another way, it was an unhealthy thing. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine who's a spiritual teacher mentor calls me up and she's like, Amy, we need to talk. <laughs> and she um, came over and reminded me, and this goes into the life lesson 13, I am not my experiences, I am so much more. She reminded me, like, turn the mirror. Um, your healing comes from within you. If you move that energy outside as vines connecting and, and like sucking other people. It's just, it's not healthy. Cut the vines, remember who you are, find that that love and that light and that peace and mm-hmm. that joy and that essence of who you are. And then everything else, it, it, it just shifted. If something went click, it shifted, the light expanded. And that is the love. Um, that is so great. And, and you know, I want to just share something very, very quickly because we're almost out of time. Um, I've been working on a new topic called Staying in the Light, and it came from uh, a lady I know named Shawnee Fox. She's a naturopathic physician here in Portland, and she talks about doing what you love in spite of what else is going on around you because when you do that, you're staying in the light, and every cell in your body gets all this positive energy, and they begin to heal kind of on their own because you're doing what you love instead of being all sad and broken up about it. We are out of time. (laughs) Looking at the countdown on my clock going, oh my God, we are totally out of time. So very quickly, how can our guests reach you if they want to get a copy of your book or hire you to come play harp somewhere? How can they reach you? Through my website. It's amycami.com, A-M-Y-C-A-M-I-E.com. Okay, and they can learn all about everything that you're doing and reread these 13 life lessons, I'm sure. So so with that in mind, we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.